This is a presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu. Welcome to the Center for Sports Studies podcast. My name is Brandon Podgorski, professor of sport management at Trine University, and I want to welcome you to this week's podcast. On today's podcast, Senior Director of Content and Communications, James Tu, joins me as we speak with Trine alumnus, Joe Schrader. Joe recounts his experience at the 2020 Tokyo Olympics as part of the U.S. men's rugby team and previews his future in the sport. I hope you enjoy. first thing I was going to ask you, I mean, I think for about four years now, you've uh, represented the United States on rugby fields around the world. What felt different about stepping on the field at the Olympics for the first time? This is an interesting one because there wasn't a crowd there. So you didn't have that aspect of it. But, but the fact that it was an Olympics, there was just kind of that, I guess, that feeling around um, you know, half our team had kind of been to the Olympics before, had been, went to Rio in 2016. So they kind of knew what it was about and kind of given us all their advice. Yeah, it's just different because the Olympics obviously means so much more. It's, it's competition only happens every four years. So to be able to, to be in that 12 that's running out in the field and um, to represent your country at the, the biggest stage possible, there's, there's just a, a quite a bit more emotion there. And you mentioned about, you know, the fact that there weren't any crowds because of COVID. Now, has that been the case at a lot of the tournaments you've been in leading up to this point? Or was that a new experience? No, yeah, they they hadn't really let crowds in to a couple, yeah, a couple of the tournaments leading up to it. Our last tournament that was, that was in L.A., they let, um, which was in the end of June, they let like, I forget what the capacity was, but it was limited capacity. And for the most part, it was family and friends who, who showed up. So we had that, but yeah, I mean, we were kind of, kind of used to not, I guess for this year, not having people watch us at least at the pitch. Did the Olympic people in Japan do any kind of things with like piped in crowd noise or things like that to try and create an atmosphere like that? Or was it pretty quiet when you were playing? No, for the most part, it was it was pretty quiet. We could communicate easier, but but obviously everyone likes having a crowd. You can kind of feed off them. So again, everyone was dealing with that though. So uh, we definitely were able to communicate with each other easier than we're we're used to. I was going to ask you how have you made the adjustment since you've kind of been doing this with uh, COVID. How have you made the adjustment to playing? without having that crowd there to kind of pump you up. We basically just take it on ourselves to like kind of, we just bring it more like in the warm up and just talk to each other more, especially beforehand. And then as well as out there. And then that just kind of keeps us pumped and motivated. And, um, and yeah, you know, I think going to this tournament, we were pretty ready to go and whatnot, just cause of what it means. And, and some of the guys aren't coming back. You know, I mean, unfortunately, we didn't we didn't play as we wished we would have because, um, you know, the goal is a medal. But ultimately, um, it was it was awesome to be playing that. Yeah. Playing on that stage with the boys. What did it feel like when you scored against South Africa? That meant quite a bit. Yeah. Whenever you get an opportunity to score, put points on the board for the team is always awesome. But 
Yeah, a little bit of rush of motion, you know, and maybe something I didn't tell you about, but I lost my brother about a year and a half ago. Yeah, it was a big reason I, I pushed for this so hard, and then you kind of get, you know, um, so it was cool. Right after I, I scored, I was able to, you know, I did a, a little celebration, just pointing up at him, and he's kind of helped, uh, you know, I know he's looking over, over my back out there, and, and it, it just kind of meant a lot for me and for him and, yeah, for the family for sure. You hadn't talked about your brother with me, but I, I know I read about uh, about that in some other articles. Mm-hmm. And I know, I think right now you you may at the moment have the world's most famous mullet uh, because <laughs> of that. And I know that yeah. that's in honor of your brother as well. Why was it important for you to honor him in this way? Will was, was uh, you know, obviously one of my biggest fans, but yeah, he just loved that I was on the on the USA team. I mean, we all, all the, you know, I got four brothers and a sister and all the, the boys played rugby. And, um, yeah, once I started, you know, once I made it to the, the U S team, like, I mean, he was, you know, he was just pumped for me and, he, and um, excited for me. And, and, you know, he helped, he helped me with a few things. Like, you know, he helped drive my truck out West when I decided I was going to, you know, fully move out there. And yeah, so he'd been there the whole process. You know, originally when the Tokyo 2020 Olympics weren't postponed, he, you know, I mean, my family was planning on coming out and he was planning on coming out and, you know, we were making plans for that, but, you know, before he he passed away and then, and then obviously, you know, uh, the Olympics got postponed as well. And then no spectators were allowed, but, um, but yeah, so he was a big motivation to like make the team and, um, and yeah, he yeah he had an awesome hairstyle. Uh, he rocked the mullet pretty pretty good. So um, I kind of grew that out in honor in honor of him. And yeah, and and just like yeah, it just helps me remember him. And and um, yeah, it's just cool. You know, I can look in the mirror before I run the game and just think of him, and it, it kind of helps me get motivated. I know. I saw an article. I think it was last Sunday that was on Slate uh, that was titled give this mullet a gold medal and you know not only talking about your haircut but the story behind it and i know I've, like i said i've seen that in other sources as well what <laughs> uh, kind of reaction have you received from people as they've kind of you know a seen the haircut but then also kind of learn the story behind it yeah everyone thinks it's it's pretty cool and and they all like it and yeah i've, I've gotten definitely gotten a lot of comments on it uh, whether in person or through social media, kind of cool thing, and which yeah makes it even you know cooler to me. You know, everyone kind of appreciates that and kind of thinks it's cool. I'm kind of honoring my brother, so it's, it's cool. When you weren't playing, what kind of restrictions were you under uh, while you were in Tokyo? What was it? What was it like uh, outside the stadium? We were either at our practice venue or our competition venue, or at the Olympic Village. We couldn't travel out to anywhere else besides that. And first, and first of all, I'll say the first week we spent in Japan was actually at Minnesota at, at this little training camp. And then we once we moved to the village, um, about halfway through the trip, and, and it was strict at, at Minnesota as well. But basically, you know, we we didn't do any kind of touristy anything, no exploring there. It was just either at the village or at your um, venues. And then at the village, it was just you know a mask on at all times. Um, well, same with the the training and competition venues, but um, but yeah, the the village was still cool to be a part of because I mean everyone was still hanging out there, 
And, um, you know, people were being respectful, keeping distance. But at the same time, you got the opportunity to meet quite a few different people and different athletes from different countries. And it was cool. Now, when you were uh, in the Olympic Village, then you said meet from different countries. Were you meeting people from other sports as well? Or was it pretty much you were kind of interacting with the other rugby players? Or how was that? Uh, how was that group? No, different sports. I mean, at the Olympics, they got um, they got all kinds of different sports, as as you know. Um, so it was cool to to meet people, and and sometimes it was from my own country. You know, people I you know I wouldn't know, and and so um, that was cool as well. But but yeah, you know, a big kind of activity at the at like these games are like pin collecting. So you'll see people running around with we all get like these pins and then you you trading them with other countries and it just kind of gets you chatting to some other people so it's it's definitely uh, definitely a cool experience so was there anyone you met uh that later you were watching on tv and they like won a gold medal i can't think of anyone from other co- countries specifically we had like an at like i said we could no we couldn't go to any of the competitions but we could watch it so that's what we were kind of doing our free time watching all these random um, kind of competition. So I was able to watch a few people that I'd met. I don't know if any of them medaled. Uh, thing about it, I don't think they did. But, you know, the opening ceremony was cool. And probably the highest profile people that I ran into or were walking next to was the bat, you know, the basketball players all went to that. Walking out with them in the opening ceremony was, was cool as well. Maybe can you describe a little bit more what the uh, what the opening ceremony and that whole experience was like? Yeah, so basically they bust us off as as when each nation would go. So we were like one of the last nations to go, um, and that's because um, they do it in like order of who's hosting the Olympics next, kind of. So we got 2028 in L.A., and so we were like third to last. And then, then I think it was France, and then last was Japan. Since they were the um, the host, but. Um, Either way, yeah, basically all the athletes met at the bottom of the uh, our building, our USA building, and then um, we kind of walked over to the buses together. And then, um, yeah, it was kind of a big procedure to get us all bussed over there. And then um, we walked through the through the back of the stadium um, for a while. And it was, it was pretty hot and humid. And, um, you know, everyone kind of kept their blazer off until we – we walked out in front of the tunnel and then threw it on real quick and, and walked out op- into the opening ceremony. And it was just cool kind of just like chatting with the people you're walking along with and then just, you know, you you walk out and kind of into the lights. Obviously, there's no one in the stadium, but you just kind of feel like the, I don't know, the presence there because you know how many people are watching from around the world. Um, and there's cameras everywhere. And, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of cool. You kind of mentioned a little bit that the, the team was maybe a little disappointed that you, you didn't medal, which, you know, that's what you're going there for. But obviously yeah. it was better than Rio. The team was ninth at Rio. So, I mean, you know, how, overall, how did everybody feel about how you performed? Overall, we're, we're still pretty bummed. And that's just the way it is. We actually, you know, we had a, a real good squad. I think we, I think we underperformed in, in Rio as well. But obviously, it feels good to have gotten a better place and, you know, be pushing in the right direction, you know, as, as we're improving. And obviously, hopefully, we can continue to do this and carry on to the, to the next games. But, you know, we're losing a couple of the guys. And, 
you know, you train so hard for this and, and it's only one tournament and everything happens so quick. You put in four or five years worth of training, but really this past year with COVID and, and everything has, has just been a unique kind of year and everything. So people are, are bummed and we're kind of dealing with that in our own kind of separate ways right now as we, we go home and kind of get re- reunited with our families and everything, um, which is much needed. But But overall, happy that we're moving in the right direction. One thing it seemed like from the Olympic Games is the U.S. kind of tended to struggle in the second half. And, and I think probably the, the biggest example of that was Great Britain, where, you know, you were up 21 to nothing and then they came back and won that in the quarterfinal. What do you think was the reason for that? A lot of our games were, were pretty close. Yeah, no, we have a tendency to... Well, it's funny. It, it, it can kind of depend on the tournament. But in this one, you know, felt like we were coming out pretty strong and then we just weren't holding it. And unfortunately, yeah, that ended up biting us pretty hard in the, the Great Britain game, which, which kind of added to how we felt about it because obviously we placed better than Rio, but we were bummed because you know, we didn't medal. But as well, you know, we felt like we were winning that game pretty well and we kind of just gave it gave it to him so um that hurt pretty bad but as for why we were falling off in the second half yeah it's it's tough to say i mean sometimes conditions can come into to play there where you know the humidity of tokyo you know could be could have maybe gotten to us or we kind of just got a little just a little loose in our play and you know um i think uh, a big thing was we were getting a little loose and kind of giving possession errors back to the the opposition, and then they were taking advantage of that. And you mentioned the weather in Japan, and I know I read that the weather has been brutal for a lot of the athletes there. Temps in the 90s and, and really high humidity. What was kind of your experience with that? Yeah, it was hot. <laughs> um, it was hot and it was humid. I mean, if you were outside, you were sweating. Kind of helped getting into Minnesota a week early, so you know we were able to acclimate as much as we could. But I mean, at the end of the day, everyone's dealing with that. All the other teams are, um, so it's it's not a like a great excuse for for here or there. But I definitely I definitely felt it a little bit. But again, it's an even playing ground, as in all everyone has to kind of deal with that. So I don't think that was ultimately why we ended up losing or anything how did you adjust for it or how did the team adjust for it or, or try to allow for it as you were playing a big thing was just some kind of the the things we were doing at halftime or right before we'd run out in the field or something and it was just kind of involving like we were basically uh drinking like slushies and trying to keep ourselves as cool as possible whenever we had the chance that was that kind of part with it and then as well we were we were doing breathing exercises that we've been working on this past year. Um, and we would do that during halftime as well as whenever you caught a break during the game and you could get some, some deep breaths in, uh, whether that be after a score or, you know, when the ball goes out and, and you get, you know, five seconds here to just get a couple of deep breaths. in. so, um, we, we were practicing breathing exercises as well. Now that the Olympics are, are over, what's next for you and for USA rugby? Immediately, we have the 2021 season, which it usually doesn't work like this, but they're trying to squeeze it squeeze it in because it, it got canceled this year. 
So we have a five tournament season as of now, starting mid-September, running through December, kind of acting as our 2021 season. So now that's the immediate, basically, next step for us as we as we prepare. Now we have uh, some time off now, and we won't really get to back together as a team until September. So everyone will kind of be doing their remote training wherever they are with their family, or if they're in San Diego, you can continue to train at the the center but um we, we're all on remote programs right now so are you coming back to indiana for a bit or staying out there i'm actually currently in indiana just got here the other day yes yeah, so i'll be here for for a little bit training here spending some quality time here i haven't really been home this past year so i'm looking forward to it what are your prospects for returning to the olympics in 2024 as of right now planning on playing you know for a couple more years you know that pretty much puts me right at that timeline so you know pretty close to 2024 so i think at that point if i if i do end up playing a couple more years i will probably probably be shooting for um paris 2024 as well what will you be doing between now and then to prepare for that basically we'll have a few seasons worth and and in that time restructure our team how you know how we need to see kind of who's left and then basically go from there and just start rebuilding and then but on top of that taking what we learned from Tokyo and kind of just taking those lessons and start putting those into play you know as soon as September it's not going to help us if we don't play good the next couple years and then we just try to change it the year before the Olympics or whatever or the year of I mean you know it needs to start as as soon as possible and that's going to give us put us in the best place possible. So we need to start, you know, when this season comes up, we need to start, you know, performing well at these tournaments, hopefully winning them. Um, if not placing well, and then just putting us in a good spot um, where we're, we're doing basically putting ourselves in competitive instances and that will give us the best experience. What difference does it make that with Tokyo being delayed, there's now only three years until the next Olympics rather than the usual four? It just means Basically for us, it's just going to be here. Like things will actually like happen a lot sooner than we think. And I know it's just a year, but I mean, for us, our qualifying year is actually the year before the Olympics. So or the season, so like the season before the Olympics, the top four teams in the world are automatically qualify. And you know, we did that for Tokyo. That's going to be the same goal for Paris. Um, so again, that's not this season. That's not this like next year, but that 2023 year, that 2022, 2023 year will be the one. And so, you know, that's going to be a year before, before we know it. Um, and so it'll just be preparing for that. But yeah, no, our cycles are interesting. So every four years we have the Olympics and then the Pan American games are the year before the Olympics. And then the year before that is the rugby world cup sevens. And these all happen in the summer. So it gets pretty busy. So like, for instance, this next summer will be the Rugby World Cup Sevens, um, and that's in Cape Town. Um, and then the following year will be the Pan American Games, and I don't know actually know where that's going to be this year or that year. And then obviously the year after that will be um, the Olympics. So yeah, no, I mean it's going to be pretty busy, even though it's it's only you know three it's three years away. It's really it's only three years away, and. And we got a lot, a lot of work ahead of ourselves. Those were the questions I had, so I'm going to hand it over to, to Brandon and let him cool. kind of continue. So, 
Joe, it sounds like you come from a family with a little bit of a rugby background. How did you get involved with the USA rugby team? Because it seems like there's a natural progression, you know, whether you play high school and then to college and then hopefully making it onto the U.S. team. But we don't have a college rugby team here at Tri. Hmm. So how were you able to make the team? Yeah, that's correct. I mean, my route was uh, an interesting one. So uh, my brothers got me into rugby in high school. And so that's when I picked it up. I started playing freshman year. And, um, yeah, I fell in love with it. And I played for a pretty good team in, in Indiana, the Cathedral Royal Irish. But, yeah, when I looked towards uh, college, I kind of just decided to focus on engineering and went to Trine University and and everything and, and didn't have a rugby program there. But then after college, I kind of realized I missed rugby. And I took a job in Columbus, Ohio. And, you know, I was like, there's a local men's club. Basically I joined them and things just kind of snowballed from there. I started playing with, with, uh, that team. And then I kind of got, I got an opportunity to, to go to a camp out West. And that's basically because the assistant coach of the sevens program at that time was Chris Brown. And he showed up at one of our trainings in Columbus, Ohio, and basically spotted me from there. And, you know, if I'm being honest, he didn't even, I don't know if he was really impressed with my skills at that point. It was just one training session, but he, he came up to me. I remember him saying he liked my size. And so from there, he kind of chatted to the, to my coaches of the Columbus team at the time. And basically it, it opened to getting an invite to a camp. And I got invited to an incubator camp in July of 2017. And then I got re-invited to a camp in September and did what, did well enough at both those camps to kind of get offered like a, a residency at the, the training center. So the life of an Olympian, especially in the, the quote unquote Olympic sports, a lot different than, you know, the basketball players or some of these sports where they're making a lot of money to play professionally. So take us through that a little bit. Do you play rugby full time? Are you doing rugby when you can in part time while you're while you're working? You know, you've got a lot of tournaments coming up and, and you're playing every year. How does that work with the U.S. team? No, the financials, unfortunately, yeah, are not the best situation. I mean, but we all do rugby full time. So if everyone, what helps some of the athletes are, you know, sponsorships and kind of side gigs. I I still work part time for the same engineering firm that I worked for in Columbus, Ohio. I'm fortunate enough that they've kept me on and kind of keep me busy but not really that busy because rugby is you know it takes up the majority of our week you know we train four to five days a week and most the days we're training you know they're the majority of the day so when when I get to whenever I get to my work it's usually late at night but but yeah that's something we're always kind of looking to improve for the next generation and kind of just you know we're trying to obviously increase the popularity of rugby just to make it a better spot for those who come next um, yeah, that's kind of the, the situation we're in. So you're still working as an engineer. You got a degree in trying in engineering. Do you like to remind the guys on the team that you're probably the smartest guy there? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I don't do that too much. I mean, they do say, oh, why don't I ask Joe? He's the engineer or something. You know, they'll do some of that. But another bright guy on the team, Madison Hughes, he went to Dartmouth. So um, some of the guys like to, to say the same thing, you know, poke at him for that. But like I said, grateful to still kind of be in my kind of, you know, still dipping my toes in the engineering world where, um, you know, hopefully 
after rugby, I'll still be in a, in a good spot to just kind of pick up where I left off. So it's definitely a blessing. Absolutely. Dartmouth is a nice school. It's the, it's the trine of the East. Um, in the Olympics, you guys are playing rugby sevens, which is different than what people might have seen, you know, at the college level or even maybe in um, some of the, the World Cup where you got a full squad of 15. So can you tell us a little bit about the difference between um, sevens and, and having a full squad of 15 out there? The first kind of version I played was 15. That's probably the most that's the most popular version around the world but um the sevens is a much quicker and fast-paced game but it's on the same field and the the main difference is instead of 15 on 15 it's it's seven on seven just as you you hear it but um because it's on the same size field there's just a lot more space there's a lot more space to cover so it's usually a faster per you know man's game so that that has been quite a challenge for me as as kind of a bigger guy to learn those skills and and kind of get better at guarding the faster guys. But yeah, it's it's only a fourteen minute game, seven minute half, so it, it's really quick. But you play two to three games a day, you know, during a tournament, depending on the tournament. So, but you know, you see a lot of try scoring, you see a lot of breaks. I mean, it's it's a real entertaining kind of version of the game. And yeah, everyone who watches it tell me that it tells me uh, you know they really like it. It's it's just a little different as in a 15s game will last 80 minutes, while you know sevens game. Well, you got to be on your stuff because it's only a 14 minute game. And tell us about the logistics of making it to Tokyo, being on the team, playing the schedule with USA Rugby. How much of it does USA Rugby take care of, like the scheduling and the traveling and food and all that stuff? And the same thing with the USOC. Like, are you responsible for getting getting to certain places, or, or is that taken care of by the the national governing body in, in the Olympic Committee? Fortunately, um, that's all covered uh, with USA Rugby. And then since we got added to the Olympics in 2016, you know, we get. Uh, support from the USO uh, C as well. So no, we have a team manager uh, along with our coaches and the team, you know, he takes care of kind of all the travel logistics, planning all that. Um, And no, financially, we don't have to provide anything for that. So that's kind of an, you know, a benefit um, to this as well. You know, everywhere we travel, you know, you know, we're not paying for that, which is nice. But, but when we're on site, you know, when we're training in San Diego, we're training at one of the Olympic training centers in Chula Vista. And they have kind of, they have a, a cafeteria on site. You know, they got a weight room and everything we need there. So, you know, whenever we're training there, you know, all the meals are covered there. And, and yeah, so in that regards, we're taking care of. Do they cover the housing there as well for you? They include it in our stipend. So we do get, we're, we are on contract, and so we do get monthly stipends. Just kind of depends what kind of player you are. But some of the guys live pretty close by the center. Um, and then some of us live live a little bit further away and commute. So for any of those Olympic hopefuls that are, that are listening right now that want to play rugby or, or gymnastics or, or rowing or any of the Olympic sports, now that you've mm-hmm. had a chance to go through the Olympic experience and, and, and have a few years on the training schedule, what advice would you give to them? Or, or what are some things that you look back now like, oh, wow, I wish I would have known that before I got started? First off, I just want to say anyone can do it. Anyone can be it. I mean, uh, you know, and, and your your route doesn't have to be a straight, straight, clear path. I mean, I like I, like I said before, I didn't play rugby in college. I was four years off, so I was I was behind a bit, but once I picked it back up, I kind of just threw everything I had into it. And, 
and and that's the biggest thing just put you know put as much work as you, as you can in now and now that I've seen it and been the other side I mean the biggest thing is you know on on top of your physical reps you're doing I mean make sure you're getting your rehab right and then your mental reps and and for certain sports it, it might not be as helpful but for us you know film is is huge and we film down to every training session so a lot of kind of help what helped me get to where I am today is, is the mental reps but I want to say one more thing on the rehab like keep your body in as best shape as you can and make sure you're you're doing extra stuff for it taking care of it I mean I remember one of the coaches one of the first things he said when I first got out there four years ago was like the most important thing is your body and you got to take care of it because if you're not you won't be eligible to get selected you can't you know and and I, I was a guy who came in and kind of took advantage of some some you know people who there were some injuries, um, and I was able to take advantage of some of that time because I was healthy at the time and, and everything. And, you know, injuries are part of the sport, and I've had, you know, a fair share of mine, but because I've, you know, made sure to rehab them as, as much as I could, you know, I've, I've put myself in, back into competitive shape. So what are you looking forward to the most as we look forward to Paris here in three years in 2024 that you didn't get the experience in Tokyo this year? Yeah, I'm looking forward to basically – you know, not having all the restrictions. Hopefully by then everything will be lifted. You know, we'll be able to do some, some actually sightseeing, some, some visiting, and then as well as just have a bit more of the experience, have crowds there, you know, hopefully have my family there, you know, just be under such strict guidelines, you know, and in Tokyo we were, you know, getting COVID tested every day and, and all this other stuff and, you know, which is needed for now, but, you know, I'm looking forward to things being a bit, you know, looser by then. And obviously the competition is, main focus but to take you know to take advantage as much as much as the experience would be awesome live I would love to watch other um, sports and you know if it was a regular like in Paris I should be able to stay past my competition dates and then watch other sports and 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 here you know for Tokyo we had to leave within 48 hours so that's another big thing I'm looking forward to is just watching other um, athletes and and other sports compete. Well, Joe, from, from all of us here at, at Trine, and, and I know Dr. Brooks sends his well wishes to you. We, again, we just want to say congratulations and, and really appreciate having you on the show today. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I'm very, very thankful for all the experiences I've had at Trine. And um, no, I appreciate you guys uh, reaching out. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Be sure to check out our social media accounts as we announce our next episode in early September. As always, we'd like to say a special thank you to producer Josh Hornbacher for his work behind the scenes today. This is the Center for Sports Studies podcast, broadcasting from the Trine Broadcasting Network. For more information about the Center for Sports Studies, please visit trine.edu. Also be sure to like the Trine Center for Sports Studies on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TrineCSS. Thanks for listening to this presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu.